The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. JPHL Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. Oh. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Oh. Presented by 4Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey, on Silent Ice TV. Welcome to Game Changers, episode three on Silent Ice TV. My name is Dean Millard. It is my pleasure to be here and guide you through an absolute dynamite show for you after a terrific week of hockey. The JPHL was out in three locations. The Saints uh, were busy in the AJHL. WHL season gets underway this weekend. So from minor hockey, youth hockey to junior hockey, and soon the NHL will be getting underway and man the NHL is a big part of our show today because we have a future Hall of Famer a Stanley Cup champion and uh, the son of a great hockey family who did spend some time in the NHL and is returning to his college roots. Patrick Marlowe, the NHL's all-time games played leader is joining us, spent so many years in San Jose and then went to Toronto and broke that record of Gordie Howe's. We spoke to him during the first week of Seattle Thunderbirds training camp because his son Landon is trying was trying out uh, for Seattle and the Thunderbirds will be retiring Marlowe's number 12 later this season. Uh, you'll love this conversation. It was absolutely a fun one to have with Patrick Marlowe. Dylan Simpson, uh, former Edmonton Oiler and former University of North Dakota a fighting Hawk. Now he's a Fighting Hawk assistant coach, and he is also a former Spruce Grove Saint. So he will join us in our junior life to talk about life as a Saint, life as a, a North Dakota player, and now an assistant coach, and of course, uh, his father and their great relationship and how that has helped him in his career. We will also have one-timers with Dylan where we do a couple of quick hits with him. That will be at silenticeTV.com as well. And Steve Oleksi from Eastside Elite Hockey and a Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016. A terrific a Sidney Crosby story from Steve and much more, including the Top 20 event which is a really cool one for youngsters being held in Detroit that we will tell you all about 
as we roll along. So that is the show last weekend. Uh, man, was it crazy? I was Williams Lake. I was in Williams Lake, BC over the weekend. Huge crowds to watch the North Stars Hockey Academy and JPHL U15 action. They put on a terrific show. Great atmosphere. Smoke machine going off. Enter Sandman when the team came out. Uh, packed arena. Just awesome. Great weather. I didn't know they had like 2,000 hours of sunshine in Williams Lake. It's just a beautiful area of Canada. Uh, Nice rolling uh, hills, ranch land, and the hockey was great uh, as well. And I received similar reports from Lloyd Minster, Alberta, and Delta, BC, where the action was incredible. So uh, congratulations to all the teams who have now uh, got on the ice and played, and uh, our Four Vengeance crews did a terrific job on the road over the weekend uh, bringing you those games. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, We'll be back out on the road uh, this weekend again as we hit the road for the JPHL. And man, is that ever fun. All right. When we get to our first guest, it is Dylan Simpson. He's going to join us as we explore junior life. The former Spruce Grove Saint then went on to UND and eventually the Edmonton Oilers. So let's chat now with a newest University of North Dakota assistant coach, Dylan Simpson. Dylan, it is uh, great to chat with you. It's It's been quite a long time. We were kind of chuckling before we got on here. The last time we probably saw each other in person was in the studio of TSN 1260, Guy Flaming and I. And I think uh, Dave Haxtall was in with you uh, to come in yeah, for, the, yeah. for the show. I was going to say, I was probably a UND player last time I talked to you, or just leaving. So uh, it's been a while, and uh, glad you're doing well. Yeah, you too as well. And uh, back where uh, it all started. Before we get into going back to UND, you, you played in Cleveland last year. Tell me about the decision to say, I'm ready to move on to the next chapter and retirement. I, I talked to Jason Chimera when he retired. He said he was still ready to play. He had a hard time with it. What was the decision like for you? How long did you wrestle with it? Yeah, I, I kind of had a strange summer where... You know, over the last three, four years, uh, I've always been starting to kind of build my portfolio and what I wanted to do after hockey, and that included coaching. So I kind of had that in my back pocket. I had no intentions of retiring at all. Uh, just came later on in the summer. This opportunity came about. Uh, I was excited to maybe get the chance to do it. In, in my mind, it was a 30-second decision. I'll retire tomorrow if I can if I can get back to UND. My wife was on board. The family was on board. So, um, but it was also a strange circumstance through all the interviews and stuff. I was still skating, still training to get ready to play in in case it didn't happen. Yeah, that is, uh, such a, an interesting situation when you're kind of juggling the, the, the two things. And the fact that, you know, your wife has family in the area, I mean, just pick any random university might not have been that fit. It almost well, like it was the perfect situation for you to retire and move on to this situation. Yeah. I've always said I wanted to get into coaching once I was done. Kind of the goal was to do that, to try to get back here. So to be able to have this opportunity to, to start here, learn from great coaches that are already here and be a part of this program again was huge for me. And like you said, uh, wife has family here. It's been, you know, out in Cleveland where most of our family's out west. It's it's nice to get back closer to them as well. 
uh, is does it seem a lot different? I don't know how often you've been back to to North Dakota, but you know, do you feel a little bit like a freshman again now that? And you were a seventeen year old freshman, um, but does do you feel like a, the new kid on campus again a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. They've done a great job of kind of renovating. They my old dorm doesn't exist anymore. They <laughs> tore that down, so it was kind of a you know got to come in and see all the new the new buildings and stuff. So a little bit of a freshman feel, but getting to the rink. Uh, the locker room's different from when I played. The weight room's different from when I played, but still the same feeling, a lot of the same faces, so it's been great. Yeah, and listen, that locker room, that weight room when you played was pretty spectacular. I mean, you know, what excites you about being back in that arena? Ralph Engelstead, I was, I had the pleasure of going down and, and watching some games against Bemidji State. I mean, and that was back then when it's not as nice as it is now. So, you know, can you even name your favorite part about that amazing arena? No, we're uh, definitely spoiled. It, it's a great, uh, you know, setup for the players, for the coaches. Uh, it's a type of place, though, where you come in, you got to earn it. You, we get all these great things, and I think it really sets the tone for incoming freshmen, for any staff where, you know, we get all this, but it, you can't take it for granted. Yeah, it, it, totally. Tell me about your role. What role will you play with the Fighting Hawks? Yeah, so coming in, I'm going to be working with the defensemen. Uh, a lot of uh, what my uh, kind of duties will be is working a lot one-on-one with them, try to get the development side of things, working with them. You know, my last couple of years, I was more of an extension of the coaching staff, maybe helping young players. I had unbelievable staff in Cleveland in that coaching room that kind of, you know, good back and forth with me taught me a lot of things and I'll I'll take that going into this as well. So what was the uh, initial reaction when you, you found out about the job, then you reached out, um, you know, obviously I'm I'm guessing they were a little bit surprised, but you know, how did you get the ball rolling? And uh, you know, when did it really sink in that I am now a coach or has it sunk in yet? Uh, Quite honestly, um, I think I landed here the 27th of August or something. I, I was told I got the job maybe a week or two before that, and it really hit me once I landed in Grand Forks. Once those wheels hit down and I was on that plane, I was like, okay, it's happening. Here we go. So I think that's when reality finally set. Nothing but excitement. Um, you know, when it happened, it was a little surreal. And, you know, moving on into this year now, it's it's go time. Kind of how you feel as a player, like I want to perform and, and do well as well as a coach. So you got to kind of have that mindset going in as a fresh face as well. No doubt. Uh, we we see on this video that you wore a C on, on a few teams. Your final season at UND, you wore a C there. You wore a C uh, with the Condors and, and uh, Cleveland as well. How much do you think that has helped? And you kind of mentioned you're a bit of an extension of the coaching staff. How much do you think just being that leader on those teams has prepared you for this role? Yeah, especially my time in Cleveland, I think uh, at this point, at that point in my career, I I knew what I was, I was going to be an AHL leader to kind of help young guys come along. And I think that will pay dividends here working with younger guys at the college level. Yeah, I think that uh, that experience is invaluable. And you also had a pretty good mentor your whole life and your father, Craig, who also went the college route and the coaching route, as well as playing uh, and winning a Stanley Cup. But how much did you guys chat about this move and, and, you know, what this might be like for you and to be able to rely on your father so much, especially going to college as a 17-year-old like he did? Yeah, I think his first reaction was to make sure I was okay with retiring. And after he talked to me that first time, he goes, okay, I got no worries. I know you're all (laughs) in and want to do this. So that was nice. But growing up, I, you know, I had him as a minor hockey coach. I grew up around the Oilers dressing room when he was coaching there. 
So he's always been someone, you know, you can lean on. I've learned a lot from, and even through my playing career now into coaching career, a lot of stuff that he instilled in me, I'll be using going forward as well. Let's go a little bit more back in time. Uh, you were a Spruce Grove Saint. They're celebrating their 20th season in Spruce Grove, which makes me feel a little bit old because they moved to Spruce Grove pretty much when I moved uh, to Edmonton. But what, what do you look back on uh, at your time uh, with the Saints? Uh, obviously a very successful franchise, but what do you remember about your time in Spruce yeah, we had an older team and me coming in as a 16-year-old, I can't say enough of all the older guys that really brought me under their wing and helped me out that year. Uh, you know, it was kind of trial by fire getting into the AJHL. The coaching staff there still keep in touch with a lot of them today. They were uh, got nothing but praise for them. So, you know, going in as a 16-year-old, didn't really know what to expect, but they helped me grow a lot as a player and got me prepared to play college hockey. And, and, you know, why was the AJHL and the NCAA the right fit? Obviously, I, I know your father, Craig, and, you, you know, you talked about that. But why was it the right fit for you? I, you know, Craig Button and I talk about this all the time. There's no wrong fit. It's whatever is the best for the player. And why did you look at that route as wanting to go that route and then picking UND? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, it's a little bit better now, but especially back then, young guys didn't really get exposure to NCAA hockey in Western Canada as much. Uh, with my dad going there, I know he brought me down to Michigan State when I was younger, and I kind of got a feel about what college hockey was all about. So that was uh, an eye-opener, something I was excited about, and what also you know made it a way easier decision. I, was, uh, I graduated in 11th grade. Uh, from Edmonton and was able to given was given the opportunity to come in as a 17 year old so it wasn't like I had to you know pick really between major junior and college Um, I in my head always wanted to go to college but I think that in itself made it a way easier decision as a western Canadian kid yeah, uh, no kidding. And and like you said, now uh, the exposure, and, and that's the one thing we learned when we were doing the Pipeline show, is that there wasn't enough exposure, uh, certainly uh, with the you know social media and, and everything, it's gotten so much better. And, and the game, I mean, the game of hockey, when I was growing up, there was one path. You played, you know, your provincial or your local association. So now we have provincial, we have academies, we have independent leagues. I mean, the choices for kids now are is so much so much greater and and I think choice is better because it makes it uh, makes us all be better to try and attract the kids to our programs. Yeah, it's definitely created competition in that sense even from a younger age where you know you're throwing all the resources you can at kids which is great. Um like you said the exposure side of it whether it's through the AJ still or some guys go to the USHL or some guys are just going to the dub the whole time it's there's opportunity there's nothing but resources and the exposure is finally there where people you know both parents and young kids know about every route possible at a younger age yeah like i i remember growing up i heard of uh notre dame and then shaddix after a little while and now you know the jphl is here there's other academies uh, in the u.s it's it's exploding as well so yeah it's just so nice for everybody to have choices and and be able to look for whatever whatever option uh fits them all right uh, what do you remember about your first ever nhl game in an oiler uniform and, and I, I imagine there's got to be a pretty cool spot in the simpson house with two Oilers jerseys and the name Simpson on it. But take me back to that first game in an Oilers jersey. Yeah, it was a little full circle too. My first NHL game was the same building that I had my last NCAA hockey game in Philly. So it was kind of cool in that sense, playing playing there. Um, It was also real. It happened quick. 
I didn't know. I was on that road trip for a while. There was almost some close calls when I was going to play. So I was on my toes waiting around and, and I finally got the, the nod and nothing but excitement. I remember uh, going out for warmups. I was in such a kind of blank slate trying to prepare and focus too much. It was my rookie lap. I didn't even grab a puck. I just went and skated out there like, <laughs> like I'd never, never seen it before. And uh, that's, that's one thing I looking back on, didn't even think about, but I'm like, Oh gosh, didn't even grab a puck for the rookie lap. That's probably a first, but um, you know, I got to play there. I got to play the next two day, uh, two games. That was my cup of coffee in the NHL, but you know, I'm really grateful I was able to do it, especially with a team grew up loving team my dad played for it was special beautiful dylan thank you so much uh, for joining me on the show and joining us here on game changers really looking forward to your career at uh, university of north dakota uh, i grew up in brandon so we watched a lot of north dakota games as a kid so i love that tradition and i great i love that you're you're going back and the family is involved so uh thank you so much for joining me best of luck uh, i'm glad uh, that you're back at your alma mater and we'll talk again soon Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great to talk to you again. As for Dylan Simpson's old team, the Saints are in a home-and-home home with the old Grizzlies this weekend. Saturday night at Grant Fury Arena. Tickets at SpruceGrowSaints.ca. And, of course, the voice of the Saints, Brendan Ewan Cheshin, will have the call for you. And how about the Seattle Thunderbirds? This is crazy. They start the year this weekend. In Wenatchee, the old Winnipeg Ice have moved west, so they'll have a new rivalry with the Wenatchee Wild, used to be in the BCHL. That's their first game of the season. Their next game, the next week, Saturday, is their home opener versus Portland on the 30th. Then a week later, they play another game. And then a week later, four games in the first 20 days. It is such a bizarre schedule, but you can find more information at chl.ca slash Seattle Thunderbirds. All right. When we join our next guest, we are going to talk with Steve Oleksi. He is a Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016. He also has something called the Top 20, which is a cool event for kids that your kid may want to get involved with. Let's jump into Eastside Elite Hockey with Stanley Cup champion Steve Oleksi. Steve, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I want to chat about uh, your Stanley Cup championship with Pittsburgh and what's going on with Top 20, but let's just quickly talk about your hockey career uh, growing up in Detroit and then going on to Lake Superior University and then the pros. How did uh, your uh, life in hockey begin and, and, and develop? My hockey career is, is, is very, very unique. I was very fortunate. I had a father who played um, and an older brother who kind of showed me the way they never played, you know, at a serious level like I did, but obviously the love for hockey was there and it translated to me very, very well. I grew up, I played double A hockey my entire life, never played triple A hockey. I was a dual sport athlete. Actually, baseball was my first love. Um, I feel I was, uh, a lot more talented in baseball. Uh, but ultimately I accepted a college scholarship to play baseball out of high school, played a year decided that wasn't for me. Um, growing up in Detroit, I obviously grew up with a lot of great hockey around me. Even at the AA level, coming up, we always had very successful teams, won a national championship at the uh, Bantam AA level. So it was always there, um, understanding that, you know, the college baseball wasn't the route. I ended up uh, accepting an opportunity to go play for Traverse City North Stars. It was the first year they had a North American League team. And 
uh, shout out to Mike Stapleton and Scotty Gardner for, for staying on me and telling me uh, baseball wasn't the path that I should travel. So ended up going there, having a very successful year, and they gave me an opportunity to succeed, and I took advantage of it, and it, it led to a three-year career at Lake Superior State following my year in Traverse City in the North American League. And from there, you, you go on to a, a pro career, and, and we're certainly going to touch on that. But let's get to what you're doing now, and tell us a little bit about Eastside Elite Hockey, and I can't wait to get into the top 20, but tell us about Eastside Elite Hockey. So back, everybody goes through it in their career, and, and you know, coming from where I, where I came from, you know, accepting a baseball scholarship, which ultimately started my NCAA clock, only having three years to play college hockey, I stepped into what I'll say, for lack of better terms, um, a very challenging situation. I, I don't know if it, uh, I was kind of a, a piece that was just, you know, essentially a band-aid for a guy decided not to come back two weeks before school. I didn't have any other opportunities. I had three years left. Uh, so I went in there and, and, um, it wasn't all roses, I'll tell you that. And I kind of started to look beyond hockey and, and put a strong focus into Eastside Elite Hockey. So in, in 2008, I started Eastside Elite Hockey. Uh, after a year of college, I went home. It's very, very challenging for an NCAA athlete uh, or high-level athlete to go play in a random beer league. And I came up with the idea and concept to just kind of bring all my friends together that were playing either pro college, junior, uh, bring everybody together for a no-nonsense summer league with, you know, where everybody has a common goal. And, and, and that's, you know, and understanding that the more important season is obviously during the winter. So back in 2008, it started with eight teams. And my dad loves to tell the story. The first game, the refs didn't show. So he was in the score box and he was refing. He was blowing the horn in the score boxes as in refing at the same time. Um, you know, and since then we've we've expanded to a number of different levels within, you know, high school women's. Uh, we introduced the young elites this year, which was the 0809 birth years. Um, you know, the top 08s, 09s in the country are out of Detroit, which was which was great for us. Um, and then, you know, staying true to our roots with the, the pro college and junior guys and, and understanding that, you know, we're offering them an opportunity to kind of stay in game shape without the, you know, while we limit the, the risk of injury. Um, and then it kind of expanded into tournaments and, and, you know, that's something I'm very, very passionate about. And uh, I had some great people. We talk about the success I had in hockey. I had some great people that kind of, um, made some very experience or some very memorable experiences for me. And that's kind of what I try to relate to, uh, all the kids that we work with, whether it's a tournament or our leagues. So let's get into the top 20 event. Uh, this is something that uh, I know uh, people in, in Canada are excited about because uh, the JPHL is going to be sending a few teams uh, to this event. Uh, explain what the top 20 event is and maybe how it uh, helps some of the other teams in the United States uh, get into a, a high caliber event. It's great. It, it you know, un very unfortunate circumstances that, that kind of led to the top 20 when, you know, when we talk about COVID. Uh, COVID was a, was a tough year for a number of people, especially athletes. And uh, over COVID, you know, a, a number of guys at the 15U level hadn't, you know, nobody had, had a chance to see them play in, in almost a year, over a year, um, you know, and they haven't got to play in over a year. So the first year was, was over COVID. We had you know, 16 of the top teams in the country 
all come together at the 15U age group was a very important year for guys, you know, with the OHL draft and a number of drafts uh, just around the corner. Um, and, and it was very, very successful. I mean, I think at that time we had, you know, we had 200 to 250 scouts there. And like I said, 16 of the top 20 teams in the country. And, you know, we had a number of OT games and, and just great hockey all around. Um, and then, you know, people really enjoyed the event. And, and, you know, I'll go back to what I said earlier in the conversation, hockey being kind of, uh, or Michigan being a very big hub for hockey. Um, you know, we have the USA Developmental Program, which is obviously a, a very big deal for, you know, kids uh, in, in the U.S. Um, and, and then we're so close to Canada as well. So it was almost a perfect fit to kind of bring everybody together in Detroit. We have a major international airport. So a number of teams flew in. Uh, and then next year, you know, we had a request to kind of expand on the 15U level. And, and we did a 14U, 15U, 16U, which was really cool and unique for us because, you can kind of see the transition at 14 you you know you have uh you have some other triple a teams that are looking some academies and, and you have some college and junior teams and then you get to the 15 you and you've got the and sean bell hold on <laughs> hold a minute he's the camera time on my interview yeah well, uh, he's, he's part of the jphl that's coming down to your event well, when we talk about success sean sean bell was my first d partner in the american league so sean oh, wow. thank you very much under your wing i know it's been some time but uh you know he was he was instrumental in my success for sure so uh, and that's kind of what you know you know we we try to do that on top of our events um you know in, in bringing that exposure and allowing scouts to see the guys it's the interaction with players and you know preparing guys for the road ahead and, and i think that's what's made the top 20 so unique is you know last year we had you know three or four nhl guys and my one buddy uh, you know, he was an American League guy, East Coast guy. He's actually the assistant coach of Penn State now. This is his first year. Um, he came to help me on his off day. He was playing in Toledo, and he, he came to help me. And then, you know, fast forward six to eight months, now he's got the assistant coaching job in uh, with Penn State, which is obviously a great hockey program too. So allowing kids to interact with pros um, is, is a huge benefit to our event as well. Um, but, you know, our event is, is, is based around the exposure uh, in the competition. And, you know, originally we kind of came up with the top 20 name based on 16 of the top 20 teams in the country. But we, we kind of moved away from that model where, you know, there's teams that are guys that are playing on a 30th ranked team that need that exposure and, and, mm -hmm. and need the eyes on them to kind of move forward in their uh, hockey careers. And me being an underdog, those are the guys I'm, I'm very fond of and, and partial to. So. Um, the, the game is changing and it has changed on the ice from when I started playing to when you started playing to when I stopped playing and, and you stopped playing. There's been changes all the time on the ice. We see that the game goes through ripples of, well, we've got too much clutching and grabbing. And, and I remember Mario Lemieux calling a garage league and retiring. And then they changed the game, but off the ice, the game has been a little bit slower to change until now. Um, there's a lot of, um, um, I guess uh, borders being breaking down, we call it here on Game Changers. And just the game off the ice is starting to maybe catch up with some of the changes on the ice, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the people that are that are involved with hockey. You know, I think a lot of people are now, you know, 
where it used to be so structured, right? Where now we have kind of a new wave of people being involved with hockey that are younger, creative, uh, that see things a different way and see changes that can be made both on and off the ice to benefit the players uh, and people that are willing to give back in that sense. And I think that's why we've seen a lot of change, um, you know, even over the last couple of years. And, and I think we're going to continue to see a lot of change. It's, you know, the, the whole hockey landscape is, is there some people that are in it for the wrong reasons and some people in it for the, for the right reasons. And that kind of seems the, the ever, the ever, the ongoing battle in Detroit um, and I think it's only a matter of time before the off ice kind of continues to catch up with the on ice. What excites you the most about the young player of today? I mean, they're so they're not afraid to try anything. It seems. <laughs> yeah, almost a little bit too much. Uh, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I, I think I think I retired at the right time. Uh, you know, and we we talk about our, our young elites league at that the oh eight oh nine and you know, just how incredibly talented these kids are. And, and, you know, for me to go back to your first question, when you talk about my story, like I played double A, I was just having fun going on the ice with my buddies. And, and now I'm seeing six year olds that are going from their skating coach to their stick handling coach to their, you know, power skating coach to their team practice. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and then one of the things I always love to talk about is not only the on ice preparation with the individual coaches and, but your recovery methods, your workout methods, and, and so much of this information is so readily available now where back when I was growing up, it was, you go on the ice, you have fun and you know, whatever happens, happens, you go home, you're not worried about recovery. You're not working out at 12, 13 years old. You're not, you had your team practice and their idea of development was, Hey, stick handle while you're waiting for your turn in line. Right. So and you're laughing because that was it, you know, um, you know, if, if you really wanted to go after it, you would shoot a couple pucks against the boards before anybody got out there. But right. th- those days are, are gone. And, you know, we talked about my summer leagues a little bit and it's a 12 month sport now. And um, I think that's kind of been the biggest change. And, and you can see that I think there's not a lot of variety in hockey. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and when I say that, what I mean is you're either all in or it's easy for you to just let go and quit. There's there's no in between now. You're either fully committed, um, and that's not how it was when I was when I was coming no. up. You know, it, it was you play and, and and you work hard and do the best you can and see what happens. But now it is uh, parents won't spare any expense and, and kids. You know, kids are are, are full commitment, um, or they're just not playing. And and I think that might be something that we're going to be talking about in the future too. Is we kind of have to get back to that where, you know, kids are allowed to play and, and have fun with it where it's not so serious and there's not that, um, you know, substantial amount of pressure on the kids. Yeah, 12 months a year of sports is fine. 12 months a year of one sport I don't think is is a good thing. We need variety. If if the greatest player to ever play the game, and Wayne Gretzky talks about this all the time, and, and I'm going to ask you about Sidney Crosby, the, all these guys do other things to help with their hockey game. And, and, and I'll get, you know, Sidney Crosby, you got to be around him. Um, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's ever been a bad thing said about Sidney Crosby, unless it was from a hater. Like, I mean, the guy has an impeccable reputation. Do you have a great Sid story for us? There, I could sit here and, and talk for two hours about what an amazing individual he is. And, and I say individual because to me that means way more than, than you know, athlete or sport of hockey. Um, I played for Washington before Pittsburgh. 
obviously they're not too fond of Sid. I'm from Detroit. They're not too fond of Sid. So I heard a lot of bad things about him, but uh, that was from Caps fans and from Detroit people. But um, no, I mean, the, the story I, I love to tell about Sid is I went down, they were opening the UPMC Center. So the brand new practice facility and, and, you know, I was always a bubble guy. I was always a borderline guy. So I want to give myself the best chance to, to, to make, you know, make the club. So I was the first one down there. There was four people there. It was me, Sid, uh, Pascal Dupuy and Adam Clendenning, four of us, you know, I walk in, this is the first practice. I mean, this is probably August 15th. I think first practice, there's four of us. There's not even a goalie out there. All of a sudden, 20 minutes in, we're doing one-on-one -on -one battle drills, and I'm I'm against Sid and Pascal Dupuis, and, and it's not like it's not like oh you know try to get the puck. It's like we're we're grinding, right? Um, and and you know that was kind of one of my first meetings with him, and then there was only four of us there, so you know he invites us to go golfing. So we go golfing and we hit Chipotle on the way. And one of the things I love to tell about him, and, and like I said, I'm big you know on the person over the athlete. We're at Chipotle, and, and obviously you can't go anywhere in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. uh, for good reason. But every person that wanted to talk to him, he didn't just take a picture and he didn't just say hi. He took time, had a real genuine conversation with that person, whether it's a, a male, female, old, young. He gave everybody the same level of respect and the same time. And for me, that was being around a leader like that and a person like that is something that I will carry with me. Uh, and, and ultimately, I try to translate to guys, whether they're playing in my summer leagues or our top 20 challenge. Um, you know, that's the story that I love to tell about him. And that is him to, you know, he doesn't do it for the publicity. He doesn't do it for the article in the hockey news or, or any other outlet. He does it out of the goodness of his heart. And anybody I brought around and anybody who came around, the whole Pittsburgh organization driven by Sid and, and, and uh, Lemieux, it doesn't matter if you're there for a day or 10 years, you get treated like part of the family. And, and um, that's the culture he created. And, and it's amazing to, to have a chance to talk about somebody like him. And, and even, you know, to when I look back at my career and think coming from double A hockey and college baseball to play with, you know, with, you know, arguably one of the greatest players, but greatest people of all time. Right. Um, I'm, I'm excited that you, you asked about him because that's a guy I love to talk about. Yeah. I saw the same thing in Calgary during the Olympic training camp at, at Joey tomatoes and everybody was talking to Sidney Crosby <laughs> and he was like, there were superstars on that team, hall of famers on that team. And everybody wanted to talk to him. And, and you're right. He is, is so gracious as gracious as they come. Uh, what did you do? Did you get a day with the Stanley cup? And, and what was it like if you did? I, I did. I did. I had some time with the Stanley cup. Uh, a lot of my buddies came in, um, with the summer league, I've, I've been at the same arena, Mount Clemens ice arena for 16 years now. Uh, so I, I took it back to the ice rink and I opened that up to the public. Everybody was welcome. Youth hockey organization, everybody from the area kind of came through, which was really, really cool. Um, on the way home from the ice rink, I took it to, uh, to my high school and actually I was a catcher and playing college baseball. I took some pictures with the Stanley cup at home plate. Um, so that was a really, really cool experience. And then we, 
took it back to my house for just a little bit more of a private thing and uh, to share, you know, the cup with the people who made so many sacrifices to allow me an opportunity to succeed. That was probably the best feeling for me was uh, the more private event at, at my house. Oh, wow. That it, Those are the special ones. I mean, this is our third show. You're the second Stanley Cup winner we've had. We just had, we had Kelly McCrimmon on, and I know who he was thinking about when he lifted the cup. He was thinking about his brother, Brad, whose name is on that, and unfortunately passed away in the, in the plane crash in Russia. So I love asking people this, because that's, I think, the moment where everything comes back to you. When you are lifting the greatest trophy in sports history over your head, you're thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe you're not, but about the people that got you there. Who who comes to your mind when you're lifting that cup? Ultimately, my family, right? When, when you know, I, I come from a blue-collar family, um, but they spared no expense. And, 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 you know, for us, it was about having fun. But, you know, it was my dad and my mom getting up at 5.30. And, you know, a story I love to tell about my mom, I'm playing in a baseball tournament in Hamilton, and I have a roller hockey tournament in Detroit. And I had a baseball game in Hamilton, drove there in the morning, drove back for roller hockey, drove back for, we had an afternoon baseball game. And I think I had, I think I had four or five roller hockey games in that day and two baseball games. And and she just drove back and forth and they never complained. They never, you know, put pressure on us to, to succeed. They let us have fun with it. So the moment I got to lift that over over my head, it was definitely, you know, my family and my brother and my dad and, and, and my mother that crossed my mind. And then, you know, once I soaked that in for a couple of minutes, it was it was all the people that, you know, going back to my pro career, I got cut three times my first year. I was playing at the lowest level possible. I was going to job interviews at the pizza joint um, and working at the pro shop at night. So just all the people who, you know, who kind of counted me out and, and mm-hmm. going back to college and, um, you know, not, not that it was, it was a sour thing, but it was, uh, for me, it was more of a moment where, you know, if, if you believe in yourself, you can achieve anything you, you want. So, and, and that was something that I like to carry with me and try to pass along to the younger generation as well. Outstanding stuff, uh, Steve. Thanks so much uh, for uh, joining us on the uh, show today. Uh, really excited about uh, the Top 20 Challenge. Uh, if people are looking for more information, it's www.esehockey.com. Uh, I know the uh, the players and the folks in the JPHL are excited to get down to Detroit, and uh, what you guys have going is uh, pretty awesome stuff. So thanks so much once again for joining us on Game Changers. Well, I look forward to uh, to having you, and, and I know a lot of people in Detroit are really excited. We we miss the old cross-border rivalries that we used to have. So thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to seeing you soon. And make sure you check out SilentIceTV.com, where you can find a bonus uh, ep- excerpt from Steve Alexi from that interview talking about some of the funniest teammates that he's had, uh, the hardest working and the coach that uh, coaches, rather, I should say, that have helped him the most. Okay, uh, Lethbridge this weekend. They get their chance in the spotlight in the JPHL as it's another trifecta that will bleed into Monday. So Lethbridge, Alberta, where the U18s from Alberta will be in action And there's going to be some great hockey down in Lethbridge at the Cavendish Farms Centre. Out in Langley, 
They play host to the U14, U15, and U18 divisions from BC. There's also a couple of games on Monday out in Langley that you could be, you know, skip a little bit of work or have it on while you're at work. You know, it's just hockey. Everybody loves hockey. And in Morinville, Alberta, we will see U14, U15, U17 hit the ice. The U17s from BC were in Williams Lake. They have the weekend off to hang out with their families or whatever they choose to do. You can find out more information at juniorprospectshockeyleague.com. That's where you can find the full schedule. And you can also check it all out, of course, at silenticetv.com, which is the home of the JPHL, as well as the HSL and Game Changers. So lots of great stuff at silenticetv.com. Free through September, all showcases and events. And then after that, $99.99 for a season pass, $3.99 per game, and $5.99 if you would like to download an event. All right, we are going to jump back in time here on Silent Ice TV and Game Changers as, yes, that guy Patrick Marlowe dominated the WHL in 1997. Did he even get an invite to the World Junior Team? We'll talk with the future Hall of Famer about his career in the NHL and, of course, in Seattle where they will retire the number 12. Also, what is it like to be a hockey dad? Let's hear from Patrick Marlowe. Patrick, thanks very much for taking some time for us. Uh, what is it like being back in Seattle again? And does it feel like 26 years ago you were playing hockey? I know because that was my first year in broadcasting and, and your last year in the uh, WHL. But what does it feel like all these years later? Uh, it goes by in a blink of an eye. It's uh, it's pretty surreal to, to be back here. And to, when you say 26 years, it doesn't seem that long ago, but... Uh... To me, it just seems like yesterday. So um, it's been great being back, though, just uh, reminiscing and seeing some. There's still some uh, familiar faces around here, so it's good to see those guys. Yeah, I, I like to think it's not that long ago, 26, because I, I don't want to feel too old either. So let's just say it was just the other day. But w- what do you remember about the first time that you arrived in Seattle? Big city and everything. What What do you remember about that time? Uh, Boy, that was... Uh... That was a pretty interesting time. I think uh, I, me and uh, Jeremy Reach were on the same flight over because we were, we played at for Team West out in Moncton, New Brunswick, and then uh, we were on the same flight over here to Seattle. So I remember just getting off the plane, and I, I think we just went straight to the rink, and we had a, uh, uh, our first like scrimmage as a rookie, and it was pretty. It happened pretty quick. Bang bang. We were one minute you're on one side of the, the country, the other minute you're at the other side of the country, but uh, the the best thing that I remember, and I still do, I, I have a, we have a group chat with uh, a lot of my fellow uh, Thunderbirds that I played with, so it, it's pretty cool. Oh, that is uh, incredible to still, you know, and that's what I hear from from guys uh, that are even playing now in the WHL is that, you know, friendships they're making now last a long time, and I think that's you know hockey. You can go back to guys, you know, even if you don't make it, uh, you're still friends with the guys that you played with growing up, and that's the cool thing uh, about the, about the game. Now, the culture shock must have been a little bit uh, bizarre, you know, Anaroid, Saskatchewan to Seattle. I'm from Manitoba, so anywhere from the prairies to Seattle is going to be a, a bit of a culture 
Shock. Uh, what was it like, and how helpful were your billets in that transition? Uh, yeah, it was it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, just uh, you know, not not having uh, your parents close by and uh, and friends and family. So, um, you know, we didn't see too much of the area. It was mainly going to school and then straight to the rink for practice and then straight home, homework and bed. So, um, it was uh, it was all I wanted to do, and it's all that my teammates wanted to do. We were there to you know live out our dream and, and try and make the NHL. And I think that's where, you know, those friendships came from. And as far as my billets, I still talk to them. Uh, I just uh, texted them the other day that I was, you know, in town. They're a little bit further away uh, yeah. from downtown Seattle. I used to live in, in Linwood. Uh, that's where I billeted. So it's about an hour or so away, but hopefully I can carve out some time to go, to go say, uh, say hi to the family again. But uh, definitely they, I know they put my parents' mind at ease. They were a great family to have us, uh, you know, Ken and Charlotte Jones uh, were my were my billets, and uh, can't thank them enough for all that they did for me uh, when I was here in Seattle. It's I think it's such a rewarding experience. You know, I I, I grew up and we billeted uh, Wheat King players, and it was really a lot of fun. And you know, I know when you got to the NHL, and Kelly Rudy has told this story a lot about uh, staying with him, and then and then you had that experience in, in Toronto. It's uh, you know, it, it's uh, with, with Mitch Marner. I'm talking about as a as yep. being the the older guy, but the the billet experience you've got to experience as a, as a player I got to experience from a family it's rewarding for both and especially as you mentioned for your parents at that time because you're a long ways away yeah yeah definitely um I think my I remember my dad uh coming down to meet the billets and uh, you know spend a couple of weeks here I think he actually took a took a train and actually there was a the train broke down so he had to hop on a bus and yeah he he, <laughs> he had quite the journey to, to come out and see me and uh, meet the billets the first time. So it was, uh, it put definitely put their mind at ease that, uh, you know, meeting the family and, and seeing that I was going to be well taken care of. Yeah, maybe that's where the script for planes, trains, and automobiles came from uh, <laughs> yeah. way back, way back then. Um, but, you know, going back to those years and, and you know, when the, the hockey world much different then than it is now with uh, the, the amount of scouting that happens. But when did you realize that the NHL was a real possibility for you? Um, probably, probably after my first year, I'd say in Seattle here, just, uh, you know, obviously the net, my next year was a draft year. So they're, they're talking about the draft and who's projected to go where and, and, uh, and all that. So uh, I was, I was in the, in those talks and I was like, Oh, you know, Maybe I can get drafted. Maybe I can still, you know, make make it and uh, make a career out of it. And uh, was uh, very fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah, and that's you know all most of us want to do growing up, but to realize it's a possibility. As I mentioned, so much different then. You know, you had the hockey news and the paper, where now you have all these scouting. As as you said, nowadays kids going in at you know thirteen, fourteen are are already thinking about that. But for you, until you got to Seattle, were you still thinking, "I just love this game, and this is you know all I want to do, no matter what." Yeah, I, as soon as uh, I don't know how young I was, but as soon as I could find, I found out you can. Oh, you can make money at this and and uh, and be a you know make a lifestyle of it. Like, oh, that's what I want to do. That's so much fun. Um, for the longest time, though, we, I grew up uh, near Swift Current, so watching the Swift Current Broncos when I was little, I was like, oh, I thought that was the you know the top, the echelon where I where I wanted to be. And then I found out later on that you can make money at it and make a living in NHL. That uh, so that's where my my mindset kind of went after that. 
Yeah, we always think uh, the the thing, and I I was the same thing in in junior, even the midget yeah. players uh, of the sixteen seventeen age. I thought, wow, these guys are are the greatest. And then yeah. you, you you talk about that that year in 96, 97. I mean, so much went on. I, I heard a little while ago, you were getting comparisons to Ken Griffey Jr. in that Seattle area. That's pretty wild. But then you have the 51 goal season. You guys uh, go to the final. Of course, you get drafted second overall. I mean, so much went on in that year. Now that you've had obviously time to reflect, what, what stands out about that year in particular? Um. I think just the teammates and the, the team we had, how everybody cared for each other and um, we we're po- all pulling for each other. And I, it's no surprise that, you know, we're, we have our group chat still going today and uh, it's, it's great to have those memories with those guys. Those are core memories. You know, you're that young, you're riding the buses and you all have the same goal. You all want to make it and you're all pulling for each other. So I think that, that right, right away that uh, brings everybody close together. The only thing that didn't happen that year was the World Junior team, you not making it. And and I think at the time you were crushed, but this is such a great lesson. I've talked to Martin Brodeur about this, who's one of the greatest goalies of all time. That tournament is awesome, but it doesn't make a career, even though at the time you might think it does. Yeah, I was uh, yeah definitely disappointed uh, not making it or not getting an invite to uh, the camp. Uh, I think I was up there and scoring at the time but uh i just when something like that ha- happens you just kind of use it as fuel like uh you know go out there and, and just prove yourself game after game yeah and and obviously that's what you did you you uh had a terrific season you guys went to the final i mean to be the first thunderbirds team to get to the final and well you didn't didn't win it uh, they didn't get back to the final until just 2015 but to be that first team that must have been just such a great accomplishment a, a great feeling and and a great atmosphere back then it was uh you know thinking back on it right now it was truly amazing it's uh it was great run we had i mean those are some long bus rides going up uh, to play against lethbridge <laughs> but uh yeah they had a, a really great team there that, that we came up against so uh but for us to go that far with the group we had it was it was something special um i i i'm sure obviously uh, you've been asked about this a lot before but uh you get to the draft joe thornton goes one you go two and then the oddity he gets traded to san jose years later what take me back to the first time you heard Joe Thornton, we just we just traded for Joe Thornton, and you know you guys were linked together in history because of the draft, and now uh, you guys get to play together. What do you remember about that moment? I I just remember getting such a great player and then, uh, on our team, and I was like I I you know strictly just want to win and win games, and uh, he was there to help us, and you know it was it was great having him there being able to uh eventually get on play on his line and reap all the benefits of, of playing with uh, one of the greatest playmakers of all time was uh was super special and I, I learned a lot from him uh you know just the way he approached the game because you know he pro- everybody approaches it a little bit different but uh his uh the way he could uh transition after a game or a bit tough loss and just focus right away on on the next uh next game was uh one one thing that I took away from him yeah, he he seemed like a really relaxed guy uh, at times, from mm-hmm. our point of view, from the you know the media point of view when we see him. But I'm sure he could be a fiery Joe Thornton at times as well when when he meant business. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know people say you well, you just can't flip a switch, but I think he's kind of the, he was kind of the guy who could flip a switch where he could be laughing with you one minute, but as soon as that puck dropped, you look out. He's uh, he's all business. 
Well, uh, we have to talk about uh, the, this record that you hold, uh, the all-times games played record in the NHL. And, and you know, uh, setting a record that Gordy Howe, who meant so much to your home province, once held. I mean, how, how much more special can a record be for a guy from Saskatchewan? Yeah, it's it's pretty surreal. I still kind of pinch myself uh, after, after uh, you know, breaking the record. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Growing up in Saskatchewan, you, you look at all the other people that have made it before you, Gordy Howe, Brian Trottier, I mean, the list goes on and on, and uh, Mark Lamb. Uh, and I'd get the hockey cards, how big are they? You know, what you know what did they do? I'd read stories about them coming home in the summer, like uh, Bobby Hall and, and Gordy Howe. Bobby was I don't, not from Saskatchewan, but uh, taking the pitchfork and throwing these 50-pound bales over their backs and that was their that was their training in the summer, just working on the farm. So, um, a lot of uh, a lot of great connections there, and um, so happy that uh, you know kept it in Saskatchewan at least. Yeah, that's uh, so it's such an incredible uh, province uh, for developing uh, some of the greatest legends of the game, and and even uh, still today. And and speaking of today, you have four sons in hockey, and and we talked about how different it was uh, when you were playing uh, and, and and getting scouted. But what a different world for kids these days, as far as choices that they have. I mean, minor hockey, uh, academy hockey, private hockey. The the list is almost endless, right? It, it's like a, a buffet of choices for the families because uh this is a, a family decision for for where your your children play but you know what, what's it like to be a hockey dad now yeah it, it's it can be a bit overwhelming uh that's for sure uh you just I mean, like all parents you want the best for your kid and you want to put them in the right situations and you're always talking about well, what about this place what about that place uh so uh there's no shortage of, of options but you try and just uh you know put your best foot forward and put them in the, the best place that the, they they can excel or, or get better what was it like coaching uh, your son landon last year when you were on the bench what was that experience like it was fun i i really enjoyed it um i got the coach with uh uh ex-teammate sean hines and, and his boy was on the team as well so they uh it was great to to have him there and have him help mentor Landon. And, um, you know, sometimes dad doesn't know best, but if he hears the same thing from somebody else, oh, then it clicks. So it was great having, having him there. And it was great being on the ice, uh, which he, which he got a lot of it last year. So great to see the, the progression in, in his uh, hockey, hockey skills and, and career. I think the people that like seeing that the most are our parents to say, oh, now you know what it was like being a parent or trying to coach or anything like that. But how, how calm, you, you know, your, your son Landon is at Seattle Thunderbirds camp. How calm do you think you'll be as a hockey dad? What do you like in the stands? I know my dad, he, he gets moving around with his arms and everything. Are, are you a calm hockey dad when you watch your kids play? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I, I, outside looks calm, but the wheels are, are <laughs> spinning really fast inside and, um, it's, it's tough to, you know, take a step back and just let him do his thing and learn, learn at his, his speed. And, but, uh, yeah, I, I've been speaking of parents, I've been texting and calling my dad, like, how did you do this? Like, what was going through your head? Give me some pointers. And, um, you get a whole new found respect. And once you go through it, the, and I've been, I, there's been so many times where I call my parents, I can't, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I can't believe you did all that for me. Um, so it's, it's great having, having him to, to lean on right now. 
Re- it really is. And, you know, to be able to say thank you and, and, and pay back for all those uh, many, many days, hours that our parents gave up for our hockey is, is something that I don't think we can ever uh, thank them enough. We just have to, you know, pay it forward for the next generation. And, and speaking of moving forward, we'll wrap up with this. Uh, tell me about your new role with the San Jose Sharks and, and how that uh, came about and what you'll be doing. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I'm excited to be with the with the club. I think uh, what Mike Greer's come in there and he's uh, you know putting his fingerprints on everything. It's looking good. Looks like they're going in the right direction. And as far as what I'm doing, I'm uh, player development and hockey operations advisor. So I was able to get out a development camp and get on the ice with the with the young prospects and and work with them and give them little pointers here and there and find that uh, you know really rewarding when when you help them out and then they go go do it in a game or help them in practice and they go, they go show it out in the game. And, you know, when, when they get it, it's, it's something special to, to help them out that way. For sure. I do have one more question. Your Jersey is being retired by the Thunderbirds. You've, you've probably been through a lot of these ceremonies uh, as a player in the NHL, watching somebody else have their Jersey retired. Uh, Can you, can you put into words what this means to you? Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, a great recognition, um, you know, to be able to have your jersey up there forever, and uh, I mean, it's just it's it's real. It's so thankful. I think it's I always uh, I always like when something like this happens. So not only personally, but it's a chance for me to thank everybody who helped me along the way because that list is long, <laughs> very long, and there's a lot of people to thank. And you don't get to you don't get to play in the NHL or or have a career as long as I have without having a lot of help along the way, and that's when something like this happens, like a Jersey retirement, it's a chance for me to to thank all those people and teammates, parents, um, you know, fans. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a great opportunity and I enjoy that. Oh, perfect. I know everybody's uh, looking forward to it and uh, uh, there'll be a lot of fans from that 1997 era uh, reliving some memories. Patrick, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, congratulations on making the transition from player to uh, uh, hockey coaching. And as a dad, it's uh, probably the best thing uh, that, that will happen, even though you had a great NHL career. Thanks for your time and enjoy it. Thank you. That was a real joy, and and I, you know, have known and followed Patrick Marlowe's career because, as I mentioned in that interview, I started my broadcasting career that year, uh, and Seattle was dominant. Portland the next year with Marion Hosa was dominant, so very much in my mind. Uh, by the way, Silent Ice TV is the home to the JPHL, the HSL, and special events like the Winter Championships, the Challenge Cup, and more. You can watch live games or catch up on what you missed, plus game changers and great content produced by 4Vengeance Media. SilentIceTV.com is where you can find all the information you need, including game changers, which is the home of hockey. Next week, we are looking at a two-time Stanley Cup champion joining us, and we are working on getting one of Canada's one is one of Canada's best female hockey players to join the program as well. You can get past episodes, individual episode interviews, rather one timers where we do quick hits with the players and game changers plus things we couldn't fit into the episode. All could be found at silenticetv.com and all of your podcast networks until next time that is next week it's always a good idea to double pad stack when you can see you later